Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody-Thordis, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with artist Tabi Moyo. So, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Melody. Of course. Well, um, you have so many different artistic projects. So um, before we kind of delve into those, sure. why don't you tell me a little bit about growing up? So growing up in Mississippi, um, I'm definitely born and raised here, but uh, I guess I was raised a little different just because my father's from Zimbabwe and my mom is from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, but I feel like I grew up, you know, like a typical uh, southern city kid. Uh, I definitely did not grow up on a farm, so I don't have any connection to, like, rural life in Mississippi until I ventured out, you know, later in life. So you grew the, up in Jackson? So then? I grew up in Jackson, okay. yeah. I didn't know. But, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so I grew up in Jackson. Um, and, yeah, I, I I love Mississippi. I love being from Mississippi. I feel like um, it's just always a point of interest when you're out in the world and you say the word Mississippi. It always ends up being a part of a conversation or a part of a song or it's just a great point of departure for any conversation. Mississippi's such an interesting place. That's so true. Um, well, I'm just curious, have you ever gotten a chance to go to Zimbabwe or, um, you know, anytime? Yeah, so... Um, when before I remember actually, so I was probably two or three when my family lived in Zimbabwe. My mom and my sister, so I'm the baby of four, so they picked up and they moved to Zimbabwe probably like eighty two or eighty three, um, and we lived there for probably a year and a half to two years. But I don't remember. And when I think about my memories of Zimbabwe, I, there's a, a way that the women carry the baby. So now it's kind of come over to America the tradition of the wrap, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so the baby would be on the back and they would have a cloth and wrap it and the baby would just kind of sit on the back and the women would work um, with the babies on the back. And so that's when I think of Zimbabwe and my memory of Zimbabwe, I just remember being carried and, you know, on, on, on someone's back and, and, and being carried around. So I don't have any like concrete, yeah. like visual memories outside of that one. Um, but I see pictures and I'm like, oh, I was there. <laughs> yeah, right. right exactly. Yeah. But um, but I hope to go back. Um, politically, things have been kind of really crazy there. Um, we they recently, um, with the passing of Mugabe um, and the new political situation, hopefully things will turn around because my understanding that it's a really beautiful country. Um, and I, I think as we're talking about creativity, it definitely feeds me um, in more ways than I probably even know. So going back, I think 
that will allow me to connect to um, some of my roots and and what I feel when I cre- when I'm being a creative. Yeah, I'd love to if you ever get a chance to go. I'd love to pick your brain. I yeah. went to grad school with a friend from Zimbabwe, and she's living there now. Oh, sweet! So she's, she's back me. in Zimbabwe. Yeah, she oh, is. Wow. Yeah. Do you yeah. talk to her? I haven't. You know, um, I mean, I follow her on social media now. Sure, you know, sure. not we don't really talk, but. Um, but at the time, you know, she told me so much about, learned so much about the political situation yeah. and, and all this stuff. So it's both sad and fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it sounds beautiful and inspiring. It, yeah. it just seems like a lot of things. Uh, it's a lot of stories together. to be told here yeah. from, from Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I always say I could do more reading. Um, but for the most part, I've gotten most of my information about what's happening there just from my aunts and uncles and my dad. So. Yeah. Well, it's just talking about growing up. So when did you, I don't want to say no, you were an artist, but what was kind of the earliest type of art that you found yourself doing? So that's a funny story, actually. I think about this, uh, I've thought about it before. Um, I remember when I was little, um, drawing on the wall with my mom's lipstick. <laughs> and and I remember her catching me and me getting in trouble. <laughs> and um, But that's probably my earliest memory but later on in life I found out that my sister handed me my mom's lipstick and said hey draw a picture right here (laughs) I found out that my sister did a lot of things because you know I'm the baby and I just wanted to be like my big sister she could tell me to do anything and I would do it um so I would say my earliest memory is that and I I was probably probably two well probably three or four because we were back in in our Jackson home by that point um but yeah but I used to draw on walls and um, I've always doodled, I've always journaled, I've always just been very, I feel like, introspective mm-hmm. um, and um, just enjoyed visual arts, like whether it was entertainment on TV or um, a book that I was reading or I was coloring at school, I always really got into art. And so mm-hmm. I just, I guess, grew up having an appreciation for it. I don't know that it was anything that my parents put in front of me, but it was kind of an innate thing, mm-hmm. um, just this appreciation for art. Maybe it came from Girl Scouts. Maybe it came <laughs> from, um, you know, just being exposed to it in, in, in school. So I, I don't know, but I, I feel like I feel like I've always been an artist, and I just appreciate art on a different level. Um, and, and maybe everybody does, but I, I feel very passionate about it. Yeah, I find that to be true uh, for me that I can't pinpoint a time. I Mm -hmm. just always felt compelled, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better word, to Mm -hmm. create, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not a moment necessarily. There might be a moment where you decide, like, which direction you're going to go. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like it's always in you. Yeah, it's just in (laughs) you. I feel like it is, you know. Uh, And, you know, I I don't like when people say, I'm not creative. You know, I I don't like when people say that. because I think about it, I'm, I, and I ask them, especially now now with the art that I'm doing, um, jewelry, I, I, I say, well, like, you, you dressing up every day, that's creativity. You know, you, you find creativity everywhere. Like, you know, somebody else wouldn't have picked that. So mm-hmm. I feel like everybody's a creative. You know, other some people, you know, find a focus, you know, in, in a lane, a specific lane, and are able to excel in different ways. Um, but I think everybody's a creative and and, and um and an artist on some level. Yeah. I do too. And I like the I like the way of referring to it as a creative because and you see so many people de self select kind mm-hmm. of as artists. Mm-hmm. Like you're an artist, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, and and then you have a hard time uh, like understanding one another when really I completely agree. We're yeah. all 
expressing ourselves exactly. in one form or another, whether yeah. we self-identify yeah. as an artist. I mean, and, and, you know, thinking about it in that way, just like, you know, maybe you're not necessarily, yeah, it's, just, it's expression, whether it's through you talking, whether it's through you dressing, um, whether it's through your cooking, you know, it's just... It, the spectrum is so, <laughs> you yes. know, like the range is so wide, like everybody fits in it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I talk to a lot of communities about, you know, using the arts um, to build community. And and it and we come upon this discussion a lot mm-hmm. of kind of like, well, we have to find the artists and yeah. plug them in. And it's yeah. like, well, or, you know, look at who's in your community and kind of if you start to view that as everyone as being creative mm-hmm. in their own way, mm-hmm. then maybe you've got more resources and more assets than you ever thought. Yeah, and I, I think that that is, is so true. I mean, I think that, um, what was it, a couple of years ago, we went through this whole uh, campaign of the, the creative economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that, you know, one thing that that helped me recognize was just how deep our communities are with creativity. Um, whether it's music, whether it's just hand makers, you know, um, whether it's visual artists. And I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I I, I totally agree. I, as these conversations, people will say, well, we've got to bring the artist to these oh, yeah. communities. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are, they're already here. That's yeah, exactly they're already there. Yeah, they're already That's there. Right. Absolutely. So tell me, like, what, what was next? Like, what did you pursue, um, like, for your studies? Um, so after high school, I have to shout out Murrah, Murrah Mustangs. Hey. Nice. <laughs> um, so after after I left Murrah, I went to Howard University in D.C. Uh, I The first year I was undecided. And then after that, I took a communications course and decided to uh, major in that, that I, I liked the idea of being able to communicate to the masses. So I took that and I ran with it and I decided to major in film and minor in education. And so that's what I studied while I was at Howard. Um, and then after that, um, ended up coming back to Mississippi and started freelancing um, in the film uh, industry here. Uh, ended up working on a lot of documentary projects, starting out as a production assistant, uh, working my way up to associate producer on the project Prom Night in Mississippi. Um, and then from there, just kind of, you know, went, it took me to the next thing, took me to New York um, and to all sorts of places. Um, but I've... it's weird to say now that but I've been working in film industry for I think like over 10 years now and that's just wild to me yeah absolutely (laughs) to say that yeah well um so for for people who may not be familiar because you know we all kind of experience um a sliver of what we understand about the film about the film industry not being in it so just talk about like what you know kind of what is being a production assistant like or what is being a producer like? Well, I mean, yeah. So there's something for everybody um, within production work. I mean, it depends on what you like. If you like, you know, for any artist, if you like creating something with your hands, where you have uh, the art department um, for a production assistant, that's kind of the first level you come in at. Um, And you can come at come in as a production assistant in any of the departments. So just depending on what your specific interests are, you can come in to um, the production office and be a production assistant, or you can come into the art department or the camera department. Um, but that's essentially the first level or entry level position when you're beginning to work uh, in the film industry. Um, 
And so you can do anything from, um, you know, folding papers for the day to running to get coffee um, to to directing traffic. Um, so that you can do a range of things. So just don't ex- don't have any expect- ex- yeah. expectations uh, when you sign up to be a production assistant. Just go with a great attitude and um, and ready to work and hustle. So would you compare it to like in like a traditional business form, almost like an intern? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they do have production interns, too. And so interns probably would come in with a very specific kind of uh, thing. So if an intern can come into the production office with the idea that they would follow a path to become a producer, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, but but yeah, so but essentially, yes, it is the exact same thing as an intern. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you start as a production assistant, and then and then how what what does it look like to shift from that to being a producer? Yeah. So what happens is uh, you start out as a production assistant. Uh, and then you work on a, on several different productions. For me, uh, I guess I can just speak from my experience, what ended up happening because I was working on documentary films, a lot of times those crews are a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So you end up working directly with the producer and doing different types of tasks from running to get coffee to doing some sort of paperwork to organize a production schedule for the next day. And so the more experience you get doing that sort of um, upper level kind of organiza- organ- organizing and logistics, that is what prepares you to try to take on a t- the title of a producer. Um, but producer also, it's 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 a lot more responsibilities, not out- outside of scheduling and finding crew. You're also looking at the budget. You're working with the director. Um, and so you're being pulled in many different directions. So being a production assistant and just being um, kind of the shadow of a producer or whoever you're working with in whatever department you're working in, it's, it's important for you to watch so that you can understand all of the moving parts that happen for, for all of them, um, for, for that particular role. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today I'm talking to artist Tabi Moyo. So, Tabi, we were talking before the break about your work in documentary films yeah. as a producer. Yeah. Um, and so... Can you share with us some of the projects you've worked on? Yes. I feel like it's been forever. But um, so one of the the kind of standouts for me, I worked on um, an Oprah Winfrey project. Um, It was, I can't remember what station it was for, but I worked with a producer, Amelia. Don't make me lie on her last name. But it was called (laughs) Oprah's Roots. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if it was for the Skip Gates project. program, whatever came on a long time. They were doing, yeah, I think it was Oprah's Roots. Um, So that was a documentary I worked on uh, that was really interesting. Um, What else did I do? Um, And that was based in Kosciuszko? That was in Kosciuszko. So we went up to Kosciuszko. That was kind of one of my first trips, you know, traveling by myself to go freelance. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, And also, one of the other things that I did... um, while I was freelancing, I was an intern for the Mississippi Film Office. Um, so I had an opportunity to work under Nina Parikh um, early on in my career. And so uh, that was awesome as well because she's a great uh, mentor. I consider her one of my mentors definitely within the film industry. Um, but but after I worked on some commercials and some documentaries, um, 
eventually I ended up working for the Jackson Free Press as a mm-hmm. photojournalist. And so at that point, um, I was just working and taking pictures for the Free Press, and I met a uh, filmmaker by the name of uh, Paul Saltzman through one of my coworkers at the Free Press. Um, he was in the Delta doing research. He had come down to Mississippi uh, for the in 1963, 1964 uh, with the Freedom Riders, and he was working with SNCC. And so he had come back to Mississippi to see how things had changed. I haven't told the story in so long. <laughs> but he had come back to Mississippi to see how things had changed um, racially, education-wise, just across the board. Uh, and so he was looking for somebody, a production assistant, to work with him uh, on that particular project. So my friend, Skyla Dunlucky, um, you know, put my name in the in the bucket, and we ended up meeting at a coffee shop and talking for hours. Um, and so it was a, a it was a great fit, and so we instantly clicked. And um, he calls me his Mississippi daughter now. Um, but we talked for a long time. We talked about a lot of things, and I've always been passionate about race and race relations, um, especially being from Mississippi. And so yeah, so it was a natural fit, and I ended up working with Paul. Uh, initially, the project was called Return to Mississippi, um, where he had come back to follow his story. Um, but while we were doing research for his story, we found out that um, we were in Charleston doing some work, and we had heard that there were segregated proms that happened in, in Charleston. And so we were trying to figure out how to validate that story. And Paul had gone back to Canada at this point, and we were, you know, like uh, kind of salivating, like hoping to find, uh, you know, confirmation that uh, that it was true that segregated still pro- segregated proms still happened in this um, particular town, and that. Morgan Freeman said that he would pay for an integrated prom to happen. So um, I was driving up to Memphis um, for, I think, a film festival, the Indie Memphis Film Festival, and happened to stop in Charleston. Just happenstance, not because I was doing any sort of research, but I walked into the gas station and saw a young lady there who looked to be of high school age. And so I I asked her just because I was like, oh, I'm in Charleston. Let me just ask her. She looks like she's in high school. I was like, is it true that you guys have segregated proms? And um, she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, is it true that Morgan Freeman said he would pay for it if you integrated? And he, she was like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, what's your name? Let me write it down. <laughs> and so as soon as I got back in the car, head up to Memphis, I was like, you know, just shaking a little bit because I was so excited that the story was confirmed. Um, and so I called Paul and I told him, I was like, I found a girl. She said this and this. I got her name. I got her number. And so from that point, that's when Paul came back down and the film Prom Night in Mississippi, we started to work on that particular film where we documented the first integrated prom in 2008 in Charleston, Mississippi. Um, and so that is... And this, that, let me just back you yeah. up. So it happened because Morgan Freeman paid for I mean, that in part helped lead to, led to, to The led incentive to, to make it. Yeah, uh-huh. that, that was definitely a big part of it. Huh. Um, I think, you know, just traditionally that, that there was a black prom and there was a white prom. And that's just how it had been. Um, it was, you For know, how wh- long do you remember? I think just in the existence of the school, like as you know, it just had never been set in- integrated. Um, you know, I, I think that what I remember is that white children could, or white students could go to the black prom, but black students could not come to the to the white prom. Um, and while we were filming, they still had um, they had an integrated prom, but they also still had the white prom. <laughs> Um, and and they did not they were they were not happy to see us when we showed up <laughs> um, that that particular day I don't I can't remember if, it, if that ended up in the film or not I haven't watched it in so many years I need to rewatch it but but that was prom night and so that was the other kind of standout documentary that 
took me on whatever it was with the trajectory. Um, it took me into the next part of um, my career. So after we finished that, um, Paul was, um, he, he, that is one of the hard, hardest working men I know. And he's, he doesn't take no for an answer. So I learned a lot about um, just from, about being a producer uh, not taking no for an answer and just being very persistent and consistent from Paul. Uh, he taught me a lot, and it was interesting because we were an extremely small crew. Um, it was myself, him, and Patricia, his wife, and his son, and and, and the, his stepson at the time, um, living in a log cabin in Casilla, Mississippi, <laughs> while we worked <laughs> on prom night in Mississippi. Um, and so that, that entire experience definitely um, is something I'll never forget. Um, and definitely uh, inspires, continues to inspire me to be who I am, and it, it definitely molded me and and the voice that I think that I have now around uh, race and race relations, and just you know, uh, just being still passionate about that particular subject matter. Um, so prom night ended up going to um, Sundance and um, got mentioned in the award ceremony and ended up on HBO. And so it's just out in the world doing what it does. Sometimes it pops up on the radar, mm-hmm. and um, and I have to answer questions. But I think Paul still travels around with it. And he actually partnered with, I don't remember the organization, but he created curriculum that's connected to it. So so Prom Night is shown in, in high schools, and there's a curriculum that goes along with it where students are able to engage in conversations around that. Um, so, yeah. You say it pops up. Um, I'm curious... I hate to put you on the spot, but um, do you know if they are continuing to have an integrated prom or have segregated prom? So we went back a year later, and they still had they were still doing the white prom at that particular time. Um, but I'm not sure what present day like what mm-hmm. what's happening now. Um, the students are like <laughs> of legal age; they're like right. older, um, and I follow some of them on Facebook. Um, and so we, you know, and I still speak to them and they, you know, wish me happy birthday and things like that. Sure. And we're connected, you know, via social media. Um, but I'm not sure what's happening in Charleston right now. Yeah. But I know that I know curious. that the integrated prom continued. Okay. Continued yeah. for at least a while. Yeah. yeah it's still, yeah. it's still, I think it's now an integrated prom. The high school officially has. Oh, I yeah. see. I see. Interesting. So yeah. it sounds like there's change to be made, not just observed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it was all, and it was never the students who wanted it that way. It was mm. more so the parents. Uh, that's one thing that we found out um, while we were documenting that story. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that was from night. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, then that's been a while. So it's, I don't want to say a generational change, but a change. Yeah. Over as well. Yeah. And, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so tell me about, um, you know, some of, some of the projects you've worked on through the film office? Um, So, you know, my work at the film, so currently I work as the workforce and production manager at the Mississippi Film Office um, under the direction of Nina Parikh. Um, And so my job there, um, I pretty much work with any production that comes to the state um, because that's what our office, you know, our, our our services involve um, productions coming, and we help them to find locations, crew, uh, and send out information through all of our channels, um, whether it's our e-newsletter or social media when they're crewing up and when they're looking for cast as well. Uh, so we work pretty closely with productions that come in the state. So there's not one particular one, but anything mm-hmm. that's coming to the state from Bring It to Hometown to uh, Get On Up uh, to Ma, um, mm-hmm. we are 
you know, hands on with them and whatever and helping them and what assisting them with whatever they need. Uh, a lot of the times what ends up happening and how we're involved, again, is locations and crew sending out that information. And then we'll, as an office, go on set visits to um, meet our local crew and also just um, drop off some some things uh, to the crew. We have hats and T-shirts sometimes that we'll um, gift the crew uh, just to say thank you for coming to film in Mississippi. Uh, so there's no one particular project that... that um, that I, I've worked with at the film office. It's, it's all the projects. <laughs> sure, sure. It's all the projects, yeah. And do you guys, like, you guys recruit as well yeah. to get people to film here? Yeah, so that's we're the uh, economic developers when it comes to the film industry in Mississippi. And so a lot of times our recruitment looks like um, ads in different publications, media publications, or industry publications. Uh, we'll travel. Um, this week we're going headed up to New York to the independent film Makers Project, IFP Week. And so they've been doing this for, I think, 20 years. Ward and Nina have been uh, a, a members of this particular organization for for the last either 15, 20 years. And so we go to markets like that, and we talk about our incentive program, and we set up a booth, um, and then people are able to come by um, to find out more um, about our incentives and what Mississippi has to offer location-wise, crew-wise. Uh, so, yeah, so that's our, our recu- recruitment. Uh, it's just traditional, uh, you know, media and print ads, but also um, going to these industry events. And this this year is interesting, and I think it's okay for me to mention, but we're definitely just exploring the geo, uh, geo market, geo target marketing. Um, so with like the uh, filters that you're able to do with Snapchat and things like that. So this particular time when we go to New York, we'll be testing out um, geo target marketing in New York to see if we can get more traffic to our IFP booth. Um, so essentially, yeah, yeah. it's just fascinating um, the the possibilities. And I, I'm like such a novice with that, but I'm fascinated because we we're starting to see a return on kind of that investment. Um, people are liking that particular post. Um, so yeah, so so we we have to get I think creative uh, when we think about uh, how to recruit um, filmmakers to come to Mississippi. Our incentive program is really great. We have a twenty five to thirty five percent cash rebate um, incentive for filmmakers to come to to Mississippi to make films. Um, and so yeah, so it's just about getting that out there and helping people understand that Mississippi has a lot to offer locations wise. Um, and yeah, with our incentive program. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today, I'm speaking with artist Tabi Moyo. So, Tabi, before the break, we were talking about your work with the film office Mm -hmm. in Mississippi. And um, we were talking about trips that you guys take to kind of talk about the incentives that the film office offers. Um, I can't help but ask... At the beginning of our conversation, we talked about the word Mississippi and how that really yeah. brings up for so many people comments or questions. Sure. Or So it seems like you probably, I'm imagining that you're having those kind of conversations when you're in places 
essentially recruiting mm-hmm. for people to come. I'm just curious, can you share any um, any experiences that stand out to you about that that kind of ambassadorship that you really end up doing to get people yeah. to come? It's really interesting. I mean, people come because it's Mississippi, you mm-hmm. know, like they come um, for the, the stories that they hear for, in the blues music. They they come um, to experience the Delta. They come to experience like they want to immerse themselves in the experience. And I think about uh, one particular um, location scout. So one of the other things that we do is when the pe- the films are coming in, um, Considering Mississippi, we take them on location scouts uh, to help them kind of match their script to what it might, you know, feel like in Mississippi. And one um, film, one crew that came down, a producer and a writer came down and they decided to, they, they were like, we want to go to the Delta. We need to experience the Delta. Let's go hear blues music. Let's stay here. And so we ended up staying at the Shack Up Inn mm-hmm. in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Um, and that was my first time staying there. Um, and so... For them, it was research, and they needed that to, to be immersed in that sort of um, environment to really get into their story. But um, it's it's interesting. Mississippi, um, I don't know, there's a, you know, there's this curiosity about what it's like to be from Mississippi, to live in Mississippi. And a lot of people who write it into their stories want to talk about it, engage in conversations with us about it to make sure that they're right and they're accurate. And then at, at that point, that's kind of our like, oh, you know what, if you want to really make sure you're right, just come to Mississippi, let right. us, you know, show you around and show you what we have to offer. Um and a lot of times that ends up happening because people are that curious. Um, or they just see that um, Mississippi is kind of this un, uncharted water or untapped, you know, has so much untapped potential, you know. Um, we've had production since in the state since, I think, 1972. We've had an official film office since 1972. Um, and so we've been doing this um, for that many years, um, just trying to get films to come to Mississippi. We've had, you know... Lots of lots of films, but um, yeah, being an ambassador for Mississippi f- film, the Mississippi film. So being an ambassador, so being an ambassador for um, filming in Mississippi or just Mississippi um, definitely leads itself to lots of interesting conversations. Um, and, and there's no specifics yet. Sure. You know, I think. Nina has been in her seat for about 19 years, and I'm I'm going into my what six, maybe fifth, sixth year. So I'm still getting my stories together around mm-hmm. that. But um, but yeah, but it always leads to inter- interesting conversations. It yeah. just seems so layered. It it seems like you're you're getting to both help them tell a story and then also kind of tell these a story of Mississippi as well. Yeah. So it's just the uh, the layering of that is so interesting to yeah. me. And what and so going back to the what I was just saying about the location scouts, a lot of times when we're driving around these places and on the back roads, you know, people will see something and ask a question. So a lot of times what has to happen, which is also the great thing about the film office being inside of the tourism uh, division of Mississippi, we know these, we often have to know like these fun facts and these like Mm. stories. And so um, there's a lot of reading and just um, kind of uh, arming ourselves with enough knowledge uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to be able to kind of feel the appetite of the producers and people who want to know more. Um, and a lot of times people just leave wanting to know more or leave surprised, you know, um, their their mind has changed in some way about what they thought Mississippi was mm-hmm. like. Um, so that's always a fun thing is kind of disproving whatever myths or stereotypes people hold, you know, uh, 
up in their mind about Mississippi. So I do enjoy that part about being a, a Mississippi ambassador. People, you know, hear me talk and say, you're from Mississippi? You know, it's like a question mark. And I'm like, yep, born and raised, you know. Yeah. Um, so so it's, it, that's the part that I do enjoy most um, is when I'm engaging in conversation and I'm able to help somebody think differently about about either coming to Mississippi or what they, you know, what they previously thought about. That's my favorite part, too. I mean, yeah. absolutely. That is absolutely my favorite part. Being from Appalachia, I also feel like um, I like to dispel some myths yes. about that area as well. So the two places I've chosen to live both have kind of... Yeah, so you're doing a lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of conversations. Yeah, breaking yeah. down some stereotypes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the other art that you do. Sure. Um, you mentioned that you have gotten into jewelry making. So yeah. tell me more about that. This is exciting because it's like my latest career creative thing and so I'm still very giddy about it and I still feel very much like a novice um so probably well I'm three years old now uh I'm I've I'm operating under accessory freaks um that's spelled a little different I spell it x-c-e-s-s-o-r-y-f-r-e-e-x um but for so long I lived in New York for a bit and while living in New York I used to go to they have you know Different neighborhoods, they'll block off a you know a street between two blocks, and you'll find this awesome like street festival, you know, with food, jewelry, all sorts of things. So a lot of times I would um, you know just happen upon that and find really cool accessories. And one particular one that I would go to every year is called Harlem Week. I lived in Harlem, lived and worked in Harlem when I was in New York, and um, Harlem Week happened. Then you know the times that I was there, and I found a lady by the name of Miss Karen. Uh, who's from Philly, and she made aluminum jewelry. And so every year I would find Miss Karen sitting in front of the Schomburg Museum in Harlem during Harlem Week, and I would go and I would get my newest edition for my, you know, her collection. So I would come, and so eventually I left New York and came back to Mississippi um, and, like, either lost an earring or broke an earring and had to reach out to her. And I was like, Miss Karen, I lost my earring. Can you please help me? And so she helped me that one time, and she sent it back to me. And at that point, I realized, I was like, I don't want to be dependent on Miss Karen to fix or have to send me earrings. Let me just, I think I can do this. Let me try. I'm a creative. Let me try. So I got the tools, and I got some aluminum. <laughs> I just went to Michael's and got some stuff and, and sat down, and I tried, and it was terrible. <laughs> I could not do what Miss Karen did. And, um, and and I, and I just said, you know what, let me just, you know, just, you know, I'll just wait. And hopefully whenever I get to New York, it'll be during Harlem week and I can get some more stuff. So I put it down for probably a year and a half um, and then picked it back up when I was like going through something, you know, uh, family wise, friend wise. I was just frustrated with life at the moment. And I was like, I just let me try this again. And so I picked up the aluminum. I picked up the hammer and. And I just used the tools that I had, and I went outside, and I just, like, started banging on it. And when I finished, I looked, and I was like, whoa, I think I I think I think might be on to something. So I picked it up, and, and it was out of frustration and just needing something to kind of get work, work out and just find a, a space to medita- meditate um, that I ended up starting to make jewelry. So um, but what I realized in the process is that I feel I felt after creating that first piece and starting to create that I felt very connected to Zimbabwe and my Mm -hmm. heritage in that way. So the first pair of earrings that I made that I started to sell, which is my hero item because it's still my bestseller, is I call the Go-Go's. They're this like little round shape with a little S uh, up, a little curve up. And uh, I 
call it Gogo because Gogo is grandmother in Zimbabwe in, in Debele, which is my father's language. And um, and so so yeah, so so I felt I, I realized creating jewelry was not only therapeutic, but it made me feel very connected to like my my roots, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, also being from Mississippi, I feel like, you know, just there's because it's so layered and it's all these kind of complexities, I feel like I'm able to work that out in the metal that I use. So I mainly use uh, aluminum, steel, copper, brass, leather, um, in a lot of my pieces. But I, I love creating jewelry and I love, the best The, the best part for me is, um, and now let me go back really quick. So what I realized to cap off the Miss Karen story when I would always get jewelry from her is that uh, people would ask me about the jewelry that I wear and I was like, uh, you know, and always ask me about my jewelry. You might hear it clinking in the background here on the table, but um, I would always say I'm an accessory freak. Mm. Uh, and so that's where the name came from is because I would always like get these accessories at these street fairs. Um, but yeah, but jewelry is like this fun, creative thing and like I, <laughs> people ask me like, what do you want to do with jewelry? I was like, well, if I could just quit my job and like travel around the world and be this gypsy character and just make jewelry and sell jewelry, that's what I would do. Um and so, yes, I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love being at the street festivals. I love meeting people. I love seeing um, people wearing my jewelry. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. People are always like, I saw somebody wearing your jewelry out and about. And so it's created this, like, community of people. Like, when they see them, you know, each other, they speak. It's people who didn't know each other before, you know. Um, so I love that my jewelry does that. Um, the other thing that I, I that happened was the Civil Rights Museum. Um, gift shop uh, reached out to me about selling my jewelry, and so now my jewelry is in the in the gift shop up at the at two museums. And that I never thought that that would happen. I'm, I'm like, I just sat down, and this is my therapy, and you guys love it. This is great. Okay, what's wholesaling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's this kind of you know three years into the game, I'm learning a lot, and I'm learning that I'm actual business, and so the creative now is is meeting like this businesswoman and. That is really interesting to me. Like, I really do enjoy the the structuring, um, learning how to structure my business so that I can scale it. Uh, I recently t- went to a free workshop in Birmingham um, that was all about, like, hand workers and solopreneurs and understanding how to structure your business. And so now I have, like, new goals when it comes to accessory freaks. But, like, I'm all all in right now when it comes to jewelry making and um, and figuring that, that bit out. But that's my, that's my like, most passionate thing right now. Um, you know, films is still there. It's kind of my main thing because I work at the film office. Um, and then I just, I love going to, you know, outside of jewelry and film, you know, just attending music festivals. I work with Jackson Free, I mean, Jackson Indie Music Week for a while there, um, creating that cultural experience. So that's another way that um, I engage and or I engaged in um, just appreciate art is just through music. Um, yeah. There's something that's always stood out to me about particularly females who are jewelry makers because um, I've never really done it myself, but I've had friends who do. And it's it's like a it's so I want to choose my words carefully, but like so tough, kind of so um, industrial mm-hmm, in a way, mm-hmm. so r- rough mm-hmm. and then yet so delicate mm-hmm. and so feminine. And it, it, it is kind of the opposite of itself. It in a is. Way. <laughs> I agree. I've, I've stumped my finger. I've stabbed my finger with, you know, metal and I'm, you know, bleeding. But then the end of it is this beautiful piece of like art, you know, that right. you know, wearable art that you see on somebody and you're like, you don't even understand what <laughs> right. I went through. <laughs> <That's right. 
<laughs> to make that happen for you. But it's beautiful. You look great. Um, but yeah, but it, it definitely is very hands on, and um, which is why I think I like it. I like the tangible. I like. I don't. You know. I like. I like. I don't like being. You know, hitting my thumb, my, the hammer on my thumb. But there's also something about that. You know. Mm-hmm. Just in experiencing that pain and, and, and creating this, you know, and from this pain comes this beautiful thing. I don't know. It's really interesting. It, well, and interesting it speaks process. to what you're saying about kind of how you got started in it, too, as yes, therapy it is and definitely. kind of mm-hmm. experiencing that pain in a creative way as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You know, I, um, I'll i say for those out there who don't know, um, the Mississippi Arts Commission actually offers um, a program called Arts Means Business. You were talking about you know, kind of as you grow as an artist mm-hmm. and then starting to make that a business and trying to juxtapose those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd encourage you and, and anyone out there who's looking for resources sure. on trying to develop um, the business kind of acumen and um, the nuance mm-hmm. of, of trying to, to be an artist, a working artist. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, you know, contact the Arts Commission because we're really, we're always looking at what what quote unquote the field wants, you mm-hmm. know, what mm-hmm. what artists working mm-hmm. in Mississippi are really looking for. Um, so I want to make sure you knew about that and also Thank our you. listeners yeah, um, as well. So we have just another minute or so to talk. Is there any um, new ideas or projects um, in any of the work that you're doing that you want to share? Um, I mean, I'm always working on something, right? Uh, <laughs> well, one thing that I want to mention, um, I hope Hopefully some of the listeners out there are storytellers and filmmakers or in the industry. We're getting ready for a to host the film office is getting ready to host our um, meetups for the industry to really build and network with our community and get to know that our new storytellers and some of our seasoned storytellers would love to see them come out. So that's something that I want to mention that's coming up on October 5th at Offbeat. Um, so you can look out on our social media for that. Um, but other than that, yeah, follow me online at Accessory Freaks and follow the film office. Uh, follow Jackson and the Music Week. And, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tommy. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. Be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.